This is CPX number 79, Confessing Your Sins, Part 1. We are in the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, CPX, page 93 to 96. Question and answer number 71 through 90. God give you his peace and nomine patris affiliate spiritus sancti. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere and filling all things, treasure of all good and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us and save us, you who are all good. In nomine Patris Sifiti et Spiritus Santi. Amen. Okay, just a quick preamble here before we get started. I want you all to realize as I read the section today that you are probably already confessing your sins correctly. I'm not going through today's section to make you panic or make you think you have to have a perfect confession to be forgiven. 99% of you are probably already making great confessions. I really only want you to listen to this to probably just tweak in little ways how you confess and maybe how you approach the sacrament of confession in your heart. So unless you're really new to being an Orthodox Catholic and have been up to this point treating confession as, say, psychological therapy, really only take this podcast today as an aid to make very small tweaks, probably not a full revamping of how you confess your sins in this great sacrament of penance. Kind of a long one today, so I'm just going to have three very short comments of my own at the end of this section. The accusation of sins to the confessor, question number 71. Having prepared properly for confession by an examination of conscience, by exciting sorrow, and by forming a good resolution, what do you do next? Answer, having prepared properly for confession by an examination of conscience, by sorrow, and by a purpose of amendment, I will go to make an accusation of my sins to the confessor in order to get absolution. Number 72. What sins are we bound to confess? Answer, We are bound to confess all our mortal sins. It is well, however, to confess our venial sins also. Number 73, what are the qualities the accusation of sins or confession ought to have? Answer, the principal qualities which the accusation of our sins ought to have are five. It ought to be humble, entire, sincere, prudent, and brief. Number 74, what is meant by saying that the accusation ought to be humble? Answer, that the accusation ought to be humble means that the penitent should accuse himself to his confessor without pride or boasting, but with the feelings of one who is guilty, who confesses his guilt, and who appears before his judge. Number 75, what is meant by saying that the accusation ought to be entire? Answer, that the accusation ought to be entire means that all mortal sins we are conscious of having committed since our last good confession must be made known, together with the circumstances and number. Number 76, what circumstances must be made known for the accusation to be entire? Answer, for the accusation to be entire, the circumstances which change the species of the sin must be made known. Number 77, which are the circumstances which change the species of a sin? Answer, the circumstances which change the species of a sin are 1, those by which a sinful action goes from being venial to mortal to those by means of which a sinful action contains the malice of two or more mortal sins. Number 78, give an example of a circumstance making a venial sin mortal. Answer, if to excuse himself a man were to tell a lie and by doing so occasion serious harm to another, he would be bound to make known this circumstance which changes the lie from an officious lie to a seriously harmful lie. 
Number 79, give an example of a circumstance on account of which a single sinful action contains the malice of two or more sins. Answer, if a man were to steal a sacred object, he would be bound to accuse himself of this circumstance, which adds to the theft, the malice of sacrilege. Number 80, if a penitent is not certain of having committed a sin, must he confess it? Answer, if a penitent is not certain of having committed a sin, he is not bound to confess it. And if he does confess it, he should add that he is not certain of having committed it. Number 81, what should he do who does not remember the exact number of his sins? Answer, he who does not distinctly remember the number of his sins must mention the number as nearly as he can. Number 82, does he who, through forgetfulness, does not confess a mortal sin or a necessary circumstance make a good confession? Answer, he who, through pure forgetfulness, does not confess a mortal sin or a necessary circumstance makes a good confession provided he has been duly diligent in trying to remember it. Number 83, if a mortal sin forgotten in confession is afterwards remembered, are we bound to confess it in another confession? Answer, if a mortal sin forgotten in confession is afterwards remembered, we are certainly bound to confess it in the next time we go to confession. Number 84, what does he commit who, through shame or some other motive, willfully conceals a mortal sin in confession? Answer, he who, through shame or some other motive, willfully conceals a mortal sin in confession, profanes the sacrament, and is consequently guilty of a very great sacrilege. Number 85, in what way must he relieve his conscience who has willfully concealed a mortal sin in confession? Answer, he who has willfully concealed a mortal sin in confession must reveal to his confessor the sin concealed, say in how many confessions he has concealed it, and make all these confessions over again from the last good confession. Number 86, what reflection should a penitent make who is tempted to conceal a sin in confession? Answer, he who is tempted to conceal a mortal sin in confession should reflect, one, that he was not ashamed to sin in the presence of God who sees all, Two, that it is better to manifest his sin secretly to the confessor than to live tormented by sin, die an unhappy death, and be covered with shame before the whole world on the day of the general judgment. And three, that the confessor is bound by the seal of confession under the gravest sin and under threat of the severest punishments, both temporal and eternal. Number 87, what is meant by saying that the accusation ought to be sincere? Answer, by saying that the accusation ought to be sincere, is meant that we must unfold our sins as they are, without excusing them, lessening them, or increasing them. Number 88, what is meant by saying that the confession ought to be prudent? Answer, that the confession ought to be prudent means that in confessing our sins, we should use the most careful words possible and be on our guard against revealing the sins of others. Number 89, what is meant by saying that confession ought to be short? Answer that the confession ought to be short means that we should say nothing that is useless for the purpose of confession. Number 90. Is it not a heavy burden to be obliged to confess one's sins to another, especially when these are shameful sins? Answer. Although it may be a heavy burden to confess one's sins to another, still it must be done because it is of divine precept and because pardon can be obtained in no other way. And moreover, because the difficulty is compensated by many advantages and great consolations. 
Thus are the words of the Holy Pope. Okay, so now I'll give you a few of my own thoughts on these. Number 71, having prepared properly for confession by an examination of conscience, by exciting sorrow, and by forming a good resolution, what do you do next? Answer, having prepared properly for confession by an examination of conscience, by sorrow, and by a purpose of amendment, I will go to make an accusation of my sins to the confessor in order to get absolution. Okay, just a couple thoughts on this. Most of you already know this, but remember the first thing that you name in confession is your state in life. So you're going to go in and say, bless me, Father, I have sinned. I'm a Catholic priest, or I am a married woman, or I'm a single man, or I'm a religious brother, or I'm a widow. And then you name how long it's been since your last confession. And it's been one week or one month or one year since my last confession. And then the third thing you're going to say is, I accuse myself of the following sins. I mentioned that woman who's a convert from Protestantism to Catholicism who says that she knows when she leaves the confessional, the devil has no more accusations in her life. And I would add that on top of that, what you accuse yourself of as you go into the confessional, you will not be accused of at the particular judgment. Okay, number 72, what sins are we bound to confess? Answer, we are bound to confess all our mortal sins. It is well, however, to confess our venial sins also. Just a really quick thought on this. I know we are called to number our mortal sins, or as he said a little bit earlier today, as best as you can. I do not believe we have to number our venial sins, but I am open to correction on that one. Number 77, what are the circumstances which change the species of a sin? Answer, the circumstances which change the species of a sin are, one, those by which a sinful action goes from being venial to mortal, and two, those by means of which a sinful action contains the malice of two or more mortal sins. Let me just add really quick here, you know, the Council of Trent says we do have to name the circumstances of a sin. When I first read that in the Council of Trent before I had read the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, I thought maybe we're supposed to name these circumstances that would mitigate our guilt. In other words, I thought circumstances we name are essentially excuses to make it sound not so bad. But if you listen closely to what Pope St. Pius X there said, he really says that we only give circumstances for things that make our guilt look worse. Not to say, of course, that we exaggerate. If you heard number 87, he said, by saying that the accusation ought to be sincere is meant that we must unfold our sins as they are, without excusing them, lessening them, or increasing them. And then the last thing I just want to add a quick note to, you know, at the end of the answer of 86, I won't reread it all. The end of the answer of 86, he says, the confessor is bound by the seal of confession under the gravest sin and under threat of the severest punishments, both temporal and eternal. What he's talking about right there is priests who break the seal of confession. Now, we've talked earlier about what does it mean for a layman to reveal someone else's sin. We're not talking about confession here. We're just talking about if a layman reveals someone's venial sin, St. Ignatius of Loyola says that person is in venial sin for revealing someone's venial sin. But if a person, a layman reveals, say, another layman's hidden private mortal sin, St. Ignatius of Loyola says that revealer is now in mortal sin. There's certain exceptions to this, like calling the cops on someone who's a criminal. There's also exceptions like doing an intervention for someone who's an alcoholic. Now, how about for a priest who reveals the sin of another person from confession, whether that's venial or mortal that he reveals, that priest is an automatic mortal sin, but it's also worse than that. A priest who reveals the sin of another who confessed to him is not only in mortal sin, but he's also excommunicated. 
This is called a reserved sin, and if that priest wants to be forgiven and brought back into communion with the Catholic Church, this has to be done by the Roman penitentiary that deals with these reserved sins. Please say an Our Father for me, at benedictio deum nepotentis, patris affidit, spiritus sancti, descendus super vos, et maniat semper. Amen.